Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, January 23rd. Can you feel that buzz in the air? That's the feeling that comes when championship weekend at the year's first major is approaching. The 2023 Australian Open singles competition has reached its quarterfinal stage. We have eight fantastic matches scheduled over the course of the next 48 hours. And with so much great tennis on the horizon, we figured it's our job here at Cracked Rackets to preview each of those impending battles. So much, again, fantastic action coming up in Australia. What we wanted to do is break things down into two episodes. So over on the Great Shot podcast feed, you can hear myself and Great Shot podcast co-founder Maxwell Labauer Rothman break down each of the four men's singles battles. Now, unfortunately, here on this show, it's just going to be me steering the ship. That said, I have a ton of fun factoids to share, plenty of opinions and takes on the four women's singles battles we have upcoming. And to help organize my thoughts, the structure I'm going to introduce here on today's show, I'm going to run from top to bottom on the draw. I'm going to make the case for each of the eight players in their quarterfinal battle. Of course, I'll look at the stats, the career head-to-head, the odds offered by our friends at DraftKings, and so much more. And then, of course, offer my picks to all of you listeners, as I'm sure, or at least I hope, you are intrigued in or interested in hearing them. With that said, uh, of course, before I get into that, just a reminder to all of you tennis fans, with things slowing down at the 2023 Australian Open, there's a little bit of an open in your schedule. And perhaps many of you have some real world things to catch up on. I won't hold it against you if you do, but perhaps you're also looking for who the next Ben Shelton might be, who the next JJ Wolf, Danielle Collins, Jennifer Brady, Cam Norrie. We have seen so many players come directly from the college ranks and experience success of late in the professional tennis world. A bright spot for those of you fans intrigued to find out who the next Ben Shelton may be as we've got a ton of fantastic college tennis on the horizon for all of you fans over the course of the next five months. In particular, the action though gets rolling this weekend as we have our broadcast of the 2023 ITA kickoff weekend. Just about all of the top Division I men's and women's teams in action will have, I believe, 16 of them broadcasted on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel throughout the course of the weekend. If you are interested, in finding out who the next collegiate star may be on the Pro Tour, or perhaps you're just intrigued in learning more about what college tennis is all about. We have 
over 72 hours, it feels like, of college tennis coming up over the course of the four days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, this weekend. So be on the lookout for that ITA kickoff weekend broadcast again. If you feel a lull, given this Australian Open is slowing down, rest assured we are prepared to fill the void with our coverage here at Cracked Rackets. That said, again, if you're looking for men's singles content, head on over to our Great Shot podcast feed. A shout out, as always, to all of you listeners who can Continue to tune in day in, day out, as well as to our friends at Tennis Point for supporting everything we want to do here at Crack Rackets to provide information to all of you tennis fans on everything happening, not just at the pro level, but of course the collegiate level, junior levels as well. They also provide tennis players everywhere with the best equipment at the lowest prices. All you got to do is go to tennis-point.com today. You use our promo code CR15. Not only will you get 15% off all sale items, you'll get free. Two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Tennis Dash Point, symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. All right, let's get into our 2023 Australian Open Women's Singles Quarterfinals for exciting battles on the horizon. Let's start on the top of the draw. It will be 23-year-old and 22nd seed Elena Rabakina taking on 25-year-old and 17th seeded Yelena Ostapenko. Let's start with the case for Elena Rabakina. Simply put, since the start, of the 2020 season, Rabakina has been one of the more consistent players on the WTA Tour, not only at major events, but really across the board. You look for Rabakina since the start of that 2020 season. And for listeners who are wondering, why do I start at 2020? Well, let's be clear. You look for Elena Rabakina 2020 season. She turns 21 years old. I think it's fair to not hold someone's teenage years on the WTA Tour against them. But the start of the 2020 season was really the breakout moment for Elena Rabakina. She reaches the finals in Shenzhen to start the year. She then goes on to win a title in Hobart the next week. She holds seed before falling in the third round to top seed Ashley Barty at the Australian Open. Since that breakout first month stretch of 2020, Elena Rabakina, 107 and 56 overall. She's won just under two thirds of her matches for the better part of two and a half years. And yes, there have been some cold streaks throughout that stretch of time for Rabakina, but not at the majors. You look for Elena Rabakina. She's 28 and 10 in the majors she's competed in since the start of the 2020 season. Of course, that includes the Wimbledon title last year, but you look for Rabakina overall. She's made the second week at four of the 11. Slams. She's into her third quarterfinal here with the other quarterfinals coming at Wimbledon 2022, Roland Garros 2021. She's done it across the board. She's done it across the events. She's only had one first round loss at the majors over the course of the past 12. That loss coming at the U.S. Open last year. And look at how she's bounced back. She's into the quarterfinal. She knocks out top seed world number one Iga Sviantek in straight sets despite the fact that she's trailed three love in the second set. And anyone who's followed the career of Elena Rabakina knows any case for why she could win a match starts with the fact that, as I like to say, she's a member of Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. Her ability to take the racket 
out of her opponent's hands. If she can do that to Iga Swiatek, as she did in the round of 16, she can do that to absolutely anyone. And I pointed this out on the mini break yesterday with David Kane. I'll point it out again here today. Early in the match, Rabakina down 15-40 in her opening service game, down 40-15 in her in Swiatek's opening service game. How does she ultimately win those two games to go up to love? Well, down those 40-15 deficit in the return game, she hits two return winners. Down 40-15 in her service game, she hits two big serves, two plus one winners. She has the firepower to catch, you know, again, catch some momentum in a bottle and ride that wave to a significant streak of success and Look, the numbers indicate that Rabakina has been an elite power tennis player, not only via the eye test, but via her execution for pretty much all of the past three seasons. You look for Rabakina, she's finished with actually the past four, a 73.7% hold percentage in her limited sample size, but successful 23 and 10 run in 2019, 76.8 in 2020, 76.4 2021. Last year, career high 78.6% hold percentage, which ranked third behind just Caroline Garcia and Ludmilla Samsonova through her uh, limited match play this season. She's held 82 0.9% of the time. And as I like to say, the players who are career over 80% hold percentage, Serena Williams, peak Naomi Osaka, that's the list. That's the neighborhood Rabakina is hanging out with to start this season. And look, she's been tested as well. And it's not as though it's been a cakewalk run to this quarterfinal. She's just been blitzing lower caliber opponents. And for what it's worth, you look for Elena Rabakina. She's had a lot of success blitzing lower caliber opponents over the course of the past two and a half years. You look for her against opponents ranked outside the top 50. Rabakina 66 and 14 over the course of the past two and a half seasons. Last year, she went 26 and five against those sorts of opponents. But that's not who she's faced at this 2023 Australian Open. She's gotten wins, obviously, over Iga. But how about the three-set win over Danielle Collins in the third round as well? And to follow up that battle with the just clinic she put on for about an hour, 15 minutes of her hour-and-a-half victory over Iga Swiatek. Again, her ability to hit the massive serve out wide on the do side and just create such a runway for herself of space for her first strike, her ability to take her sir, uh, her return early on the rise, capture that return, particularly with her backhand wing perfectly in stride and just beat you to the spot. Again, she was able to do that to Ego or at least get Ego so stretched that again, there was not much Ego could do to defend, uh, to defend throughout the rest of the course of the point. Look, Rabakina's a streaky returner. You look for her overall last season. She ranked 45th amongst top 50 players in break percentage. She broke 30.5% of the time. The tour average, or at least she's 30.5 over the last 52 weeks. The tour average, 36.3. She's been better on the return of serve throughout the course of this major. You look for Rabakina, again, was able to earn multiple breaks of serve against each of the opponents that she's faced thus far. Uh, but look, she she's going to have a serious test on her hands. As we all know, when Yelena Ostapenko catches that lightning in the bottle, she can also play Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club Tennis. I joke about it all the time, given her run to the 2017 French Open, given it feels like one week a season, whether it's during the grass courts last year or during the Middle East last year before she got injured. You know, we've seen it repeatedly over the course of the past five seasons. 
Ostapenko is capable of playing take the racket out of your hand and I have non-negotiable weapons that it doesn't really matter what you do. It's going to be impossible for you to deal with me. That's the ceiling of an Ostapenko performance in any given match. And again, we haven't seen her put it together consistently at a major since 2018 when she did reach the quarterfinals of Wimbledon. But She's put it together, no doubt, so far here at this 2023 uh, Australian Open. Ostapenko dropping just one set thus far. Straight set wins over Yastrzemska, Baindel, and then Coco Goff in the round of 16. The three-setter coming against Bondar in round number two. Again, not to rehash what I said yesterday when recapping Ostapenko's victory, but it wasn't just her ability to attack the Coco Goff forehand with pace. It was her ability to hit through the Coco Goff backhand, which is one of probably the five most difficult things to ask a player to do right now in women's tennis. That's how athletic, how exceptional Goff is off that backhand wing. And yet Ostapenko's to play, ability to play through that wing, get Goff so far stretched on that side that she couldn't protect her forehand. It's what just opened everything up for Ostapenko throughout the course of the match, who, by the way, had her best serving performance of the tournament, won 80% of her first serve points, fought off seven of the eight break points that she faced. In fact, Ostapenko's been broken once or fewer in three of her four victories. When Ostapenko's serving well, I know sometimes that sounds simple, but she's had a ton of difficulties with the serve throughout the course of her career, much like Sabalenka last year. She also had an over 10% double fault season where she was 12.3% back in 2019. And her career average, she double faults 8.4% of the time. That's disastrous. But when she's serving well and she's able to get into her weapons, the forehand, the technique is precise. The backhand, she can drive through any ball this is going to be power tennis at its finest. And again, you look for Yelena Ostapenko. I dove into the stats a little deeper for Rabak, and I do think it's worth mentioning Ostapenko since or through this pandemic era. She's 14 and 8 at the majors. This is her second time making a second week for what it's worth. It's her second second week in the past three slams. She made second week Wimbledon, now quarterfinals here in Australia. You know, again, you look for Ostapenko against uh, in her career. It's her fourth quarterfinal. She's two and one in her previous three, uh, having won obviously the Roland Garros one and Wimbledon back in 2018. You look for Rabakina, uh, excuse me, for Ostapenko against tall players. I think this can lead us to where I'm at for the pick in this match because I always think, you know, again, it's not directly comparable, but how does Ostapenko fare against those sorts of players who are able to play with significant power and stress the fact that Ostapenko is not the greatest mover? She wants to be playing on her terms from the center of the court, dictating you around where you're going as opposed to vice versa. For what it's worth, Ostapenko. 23 and 20 in her career against players over six foot, 80 and 68 against players over five foot 10. So again, about a 53% win percentage against the taller, big weapon players. The thing when I look at this match is, again, Rybakina has the sort of weapons to take time away from Ostapenko. And as good as Coco Goff has got on the plus one balls, and for what it's worth, she won two more zero to four shot rallies. It was 41 to 39, Goff versus Ostapenko in the fourth round uh, match. So, you know, Ostap- uh, Goff had plenty of success with her plus one first strike tennis against Ostapenko. 
And Rabakina is even better at succeeding behind that first strike tennis than Goff is. So you feel like there's a clear-cut recipe of success there for Rabakina. Again, as powerful as Ostapenko is, I think Rabakina is that much more so if Ostapenko is hanging second serves. Rabakina will just have a free day swinging as freely as she wants on that return of serve. Meanwhile, as good as Ostapenko is as a returner, for what it's worth, Yelena Ostapenko last season broke serve 40.3% of the time. That was a top 10 number on the WTA Tour. This is strength versus strength. Great server versus great returner. Power player versus power player. And despite Rabakina's 0-2 record, and for the record, Ostapenko, a straight set win, Eastbourne 2021, straight set win, Linz 2019. But Rabakina is a different player. She's won a slam since then. You look for Elena Rabakina since the start of the 2020 season against top 10 competition. Rabakina's had a ton of success during that stretch of time. Again, by WTA standards, against, excuse me, not top 10, but top 20 level competition. You look for Elena Rabakina during this stretch of time against the top 20. She's 21 and 21. Like, again, it's a pick em. She plays them evenly against top 10 opponents. She's 8 and 12 overall, plays them fairly evenly. Her weapons are translate regardless of what her opponents are doing. And it comes down to a day, and it's funny because you could say this about both players, who do you trust more, Rabakina or Ostapenko, to play their caliber of elite power tennis on any given day? And the reason I'm leading Rabakina is because I just have more faith in her serve, her ability to have chances to play on her terms because her serve is the steadier of the two table setters in this match, her serve versus Ostapenko's serve. I think Rabakina's going to have plenty of opportunities to turn into uh, her return of serve. Now, it's not going to be as clean of a ball for Rabakina to hit because Sviantek hits a high, heavy top spin ball, and that ball sat right up in Rabakina's strike zone on just about every point. Ostapenko plays with more line drive, certainly. Even when Rabakina serves big, we've seen Ostapenko in mixed doubles, how well she handles a men's serve. She's not afraid of pace, of placement. She's going to swing big no matter what. This is going to be a tightly contested match. And according to Tennis Abstract, they agree. Rabakina, a 57.1% favorite. Rabakina, minus 240, according to our friends at Tennis Abstract. Maybe you like the over in this match. You see 5-5, five and 6-6, five, 5-4, six and six, five and four, something along those lines. I could see that as well. You can get over 20 and a half games, which that sort of scoreline covers at minus 145 on DraftKings. That's not a bad bet. Again, the money line, Rabakina minus 240, smack dab in the parlay zone. Rabakina minus two and a half games at minus 145. That's a straight set win, and it means she gets one break of serve. I kind of like that most for my pick. In fact, that's my ace of the day on day number nine of this event. If you go listen to the men's side, you'll hear what, how tentative I am looking at all the odds of those matches, even if I have pretty firm picks for my winners. The odds makers say this is a toss-up. I understand why. It's two power tennis players playing some of their best tennis of late. Rabakina's best has been better than Ostapenko's of late. I actually think Rabakina's best because of how big her serve is and how many free points it affords her as freely as Ostapenko hits on the return of serve, as many winners as she hits on that return of serve. She's just not going to have the opportunity to do that because Rabakina's biggest strength takes that ability at least somewhat away. This match is going to be close. I like the over. But I like Rabakina to advance to the semifinals here in Australia. Give me Rabakina 6-4 and four 
I like that score. Six and four. Rabakina ultimately advances to the semifinals where hypothetically she would await the winner of the next match. I want to talk about Jessica Pagula, your number three seed, taking on Victoria Azarenka, your number 24 seed. Let's start with the case for Jessica Pagula. I think it's fairly easy to make at this point. Anecdotally, she's arguably been the best player of 2023 thus far. Now, again, Sabalenka hasn't lost. She, I don't think, has lost a set either. And so she's certainly in that conversation. But given what Pagula was able to do at United Cup to help you know, be the firmest point and help lead USA to victory, get the big win over Iga in the semifinals to really create the separation in that match. And then, you know, you look for her so far this week, she's yet to drop a set wins over Christian Sasnovich Kostyuk, who was in exceptional form and for Pagula to win that match 0-2. If you actually watched it, the games were far closer than the scoreline would indicate. Pagula just won every big point in the match. She did the same thing in her first set on the way to a 5-2 win over 20th seed Barbara Krachikova in the round of 16. Look, Jessica Pagula is an advanced analytics darling. There were three players who ranked top 20, excuse me, four players who ranked top 20 in both hold and break percentage last season. One of them was Marie Bushkova, uh, Boshkova, excuse me, who dominated the qualifying level, the 250 levels, and had a good Wimbledon run. So that sort of boosted her statistics. But the three legitimate players are exactly who you would expect. Iga Sviantek, who was top 10 in everything, and then two top 20ers in Own Jabur and Jessica Pagula. Pagula is very good at everything. Now, she's certainly taken a leap forward as a server over the course of the past year and a half, and that's probably what cemented her spot inside the WTA top 10 because she's been a top 10 returner over the course of the past two, three seasons now consistently over that 35, 36% average we see from a break percentage standpoint of a top 50 player. But you look at the numbers for her the past three seasons. She held 71.6% of the time in 2021, 72.6% of the time in 2022. To start this year, she's holding 83.1% of the time. We'll see how sustainable that is, but that would be, again, Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club level stuff off the racket of Jessica Pagula. And that certainly matched what we've seen with our eyes. And while it's not the overwhelming indisputable power tennis we see from others. It's the efficiency. It's Djokovic-esque, how well she hits her spots with her first strike, how well she changes directions on her approach shots, how confident she is moving forward. And then, of course, the ability to extend rallies, to play a little bit of defense as she had to do so frequently against Krachikova, to turn defense into offense, just the consistent depth on the Pagula ground strokes. There are so many things she does well. And, I mean, you look for Jessica Pagula, who now since the start of the 2022 season, Jessica Pagula overall has won just an obscene amount of matches, 50 and 22. She's won 69% of those matches. But of course, you look now at where she's made quarterfinals, nine of them over the past year, two of them at the Australian Open, one at Roland Garros, one at the US Open, a bunch at 1,000 level events as well. But four quarterfinals at her last five majors. How about that? For the soon-to-be 29-year-old, that is asserting yourself as one of the elite players in an era defined by inconsistency. That's about as consistent as we've seen out of everyone, anyone. The row-up we've seen off the racket of Jessica Pagula, of course. Again, you look for her in her victory over Krachikova, took the ball early. 
took the ball on the rise, was able to get critique of a stretch on the forehand wing where she's just a little bit less dangerous because it just takes her a little bit longer to calibrate that shot than she is on that backhand side. And, you know, when Krejcikova wisely moved forward and forced Pagula to be great so frequently, she was able to find those answers. She was able to produce some sort of exceptional shot. I mean, again, you look at the statistics, and I know I'll try not to do this because I know we're uh, again, it, this matches a few days in the rearview mirror, but you look at what Pagula was able to do in her straight set victory over uh, Krachikova. Just, again, a rock-solid performance. She hits 20 winners against 20 unforced errors for what it's worth. Krachikova, 19 winners, 36 unforced errors. Pagula, 10 of 15 at the net. She fights off. Uh, or she only faces two break points in the match, but created 18 for herself because she puts the return of serve on a dime at the feet of every server. She just does everything very well. There may not be an eye-popping elite weapon on the racket of Jessica Pagula, but she has the heir apparent to the Simona Halep good at everything award. Pagula has been exceptional throughout the course of this 2023 and certainly here in this Australian Open. But look, if you watch as much tennis as I do, one of the most eye-popping things from an eye-test perspective has been just how exceptional Victoria Azarenka has looked through the early parts of this 2023 season. Now, the results outside of this US, uh, Australian Open excuse me, may not indicate anything extraordinary. She makes the quarterfinals in Adelaide, loses first round in Adelaide 2, you know, goes three sets in her last two matches here in 2020 uh, at this Australian Open. Why is that so eye-poppingly successful? Well, go watch the Victoria Azarenka film. Look at how well she's moving, how fit she clearly is, how healthy she clearly is. Dare I say, this is 2020 Victoria Azarenka, the same player who wins the Western Southern Open and makes the final of the U.S. Open consecutively. You go back to Adelaide where she gets a really good win over Jung Chin Wen. She then loses a three-set battle, 7-6 in the third to Linda Naskova. The next uh, week, she loses 6-4 in the third to a top 10 player in the world in Veronica Kudermatova. Again, good wins over a, I think, top 50 formed Sonia Kennan. Obviously, a player who was 18-2 going into their third round match in Australia over the past two years in Madison Keys. A three-set win come from behind there for Azarenka. Then a come from behind three-set win over the thriving Ju Lin of China. I mean, we know what Azarenka is capable of. She's a former Australian Open champion, former world number one. Her combination of finesse, power, drive and athleticism. It's an overwhelming combination. Again, how well she overwhelms one uh, with the power tennis she's capable of playing, how well uh, she moves to absorb a first strike, asks the right question and changing direction to break opponent's rhythm. That's precisely what she did. Just wore out Julin has the gravitas and confidence in herself to go down swinging in every match that she plays. And look, analytically, when she's been healthy, she's been a top 15 returner unequivocally throughout the course of her career. But when she's healthy, she's been a top 25 server. That hold percentage gets over that 70% mark, and then she becomes one of those 8 to 12 players who's analytically a top 25 in both how frequently they're holding serve and breaking serve sort of person. She's played well throughout the course of this uh, event and, again, has been tested by the powers of the Madison Keys, the fitness of the Julin, the you know creativity of the Sonia Kennan. She's going to get all of that 
in third seeded Jessica Pagula. And for what it's worth, it's the fifth career head-to-head matchup between these two players. They've split the first four, 2-2 career. Pagula beating Azarenka in Guadalajara last year in straight sets, but Azarenka wins in 2021 at Indian Wells at Berlin. Pagula also will win on her way to the round of 16, uh, quarterfinals in Australia in 20, excuse me, round of 16. I forget what it was, but she beat Azarenka at the 2021 Australian Open in straight sets. One of the coming out moments, actually, for Jessica Pagula on tour that she is here to stay. I mean, look, I test-wise, how can anyone pick against Pagula? Pagula, 64.5% favorite as well, according to the Tennis Abstract Singles forecast. She's a minus 280 favorite, according to DraftKings, minus three and a half games. So a straight set, four and four, five and five wins, minus 140. I mean, she's a pretty comfortable favorite, according to the odds makers. And certainly her level, as you know, I mentioned, these are two players who are pretty good at everything. And who's been executing slightly better? I would say Jessica Pagula, who as well as Azarenka's played as match tough as she is, Pagula still played matches against, you know, against a Kvitova, against a Krachikova, against an Iga so far this season, and has seen herself have success on a bunch of occasions in those matches. Again, Vika serving well. But Pagula is still going to have clean looks on the return of serve, and she's just seeing that ball like an absolute watermelon, hitting it so cleanly. So if I'm, you're forcing me to make a pick, I take the Pagula minus three and a half games, minus 140. It's the best value there. You can take the over 20 and a half games. Again, that's a tightly fought straight set match. I'm going Pagula. I think we get a Pagula Rabakina semifinal, and I would look very much forward to the contrast in styles in that match, but introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Let's now move to the bottom of the draw, and I'll be able to both recap yesterday's matches as well as preview these quarterfinals here as well. Let's start with Karolina Pliskova taking on surprise quarterfinalist of this event, Magda Lynette. You look for Karolina Pliskova. It's now a second consecutive major quarterfinal for her, and what's so fascinating, Pugul, uh, excuse me, Pliskova, 27-23 and 23 overall in her last 52 weeks. Eight of those 27 victories, so just under a third of them, have come at two of the 22 events that she's played. That's exceptional. Just exceptional. I mean, again, for her to make the quarterfinals and then, you know, after making the quarterfinals at the U.S. Open, she goes on to lose seven of her next nine matches. Now, she started the year fairly well, you know, plays a tight, uh, plays solid matches against Collins, against Ostapenko, though she got off to slow starts in both. She had to qualify just to get into the main draw of Adelaide, too. That speaks to, again, the struggles Pliskova particularly experience at the start of last season. But hey, all of a sudden, Carolina Pliskova into a second consecutive quarterfinal at the majors. Now, she has certainly had the rosiest of the draws of all the players we see still alive in this event. 
Pliskova faced just one seed. It was 23rd seed, 32-year-old Zhang Shui, who she beats 0-4 in the quarterfinals. And, oh, my God, Pliskova started out on fire. Just everything she was touching was turning into gold. Uh, Zhang Shui just did not have the weapons to hurt Pliskova. And even when she tried to get Pliskova stretched into the outer thirds of the court because she didn't quite have enough pace on that ball to hurt Pliskova, all it really did was open up angles for Pliskova. And then it was, again— Free swinging down the line, overwhelming cross court, free pops on the return of serve as well. Pliskova was dominating with her first serve, double digit aces on the day. Pliskova raced out to a six love set, her second six love set of the event. But then look, she found herself down 4 2 in set number two. So it was able to sneak out a break there and, you know, then steadied the ship. Was Became And credit to the 23rd seed who got a little bit more aggressive in set number two. But Pliskova was able to hit through that aggression, not by going big down the line, but by playing big through the center of the court, using the depth of her ball to just overwhelm her opponent. And that's what Pliskova has done against outmatched opponents in every battle she's had thus far. Again, has yet to drop a set, has only faced one seed. And she'll yet to face this. You know, again, she's not going to face a seed in the quarterfinals as she's taking on Magda Lynette. And, I mean, again, I know I'm spending less time on this quarterfinal probably than any other. I suppose I will throw in you look for Karolina Pliskova in her case, even though she does not have a slam title, to try and make the WTA Tour Hall of Fame. Of course, she is a former world number one. She is into her 11th slam quarterfinal of her career. She's made one quarterfinal in every season but 2020 since 2016. I mean, that's a remarkable eight-year run or seven-year run there for Karolina Pliskova, where she has just been consistently a factor at at least one major. And by the way, she made the quarterfinals at three majors in 2017, two in 2018, two in 2021. Now she's made consecutive majors here, end of 22, start of 23. That's a really nice six, seven-year run. It's Burdich-esque. It's Ferrer-esque. I think that's the tier she lives in, the Hall of Very, Very Good. It's not quite the Hall of Fame, but, I mean, again, boy, does she have a massive, massive opportunity on her hands as she's going to take on a player. She is 7-2 and two against in her career as she takes on unseated Magda Lynette. You look for Lynette, who is into a slam quarterfinal for the first time in her career. And by the way, not just a slam quarterfinal. You look for Magda Lynette, who overall in her career at the slam level, she has played 30 slam main draw first round matches in her career. Took her 30 tries to reach the second week of a major. She manages to do that for the first time in her career. 30 years old, she does it here at the 2023 Australian Open for what it's worth with this run. Lynette up to a new career high of number 28. Boy, isn't that a nice place for the veteran to be at this stage of her career here to start this season. You look for Magda Lynette. She's played the best tennis of her career over the course of the past 52 weeks. You look for her. She's 32, excuse me, 46 and 29 overall. She's won 61% of her matches. That's, you know, for someone who has won 49.3% of her career tour-level matches, for her to be over 60% for a 52-week stretch, that's unequivocally, again, the best stretch of her career. And of course, it helps that, you know, to end last season, she went played Chennai and 
Tampico and, you know, Cleveland and some of the lower level tour level events and experienced a ton of success. Final at two of them, quarterfinals at another. She's obviously now uh, into the quarterfinals here after helping her team get to the semifinals of the United Cup. I mean, look, for Magda Lynette, how about this run? Who's had a more impressive run than this? Meyer Sharif straight sets, fine. Three sets over Annette Conteve, straight sets over Ekaterina Alexandrova, straight sets six and four over Caroline Garcia, a match where she found herself down a break right away at the start of the match. She was not prepared for the pace, for the aggression that Caroline Garcia planned on playing with. But again, credit to Magda Lynette, who found her rhythm by the end of the match. You look for Lynette overall uh, in terms of, again, what she was able to accomplish from a winner to unforced error ratio. She was just in balance throughout the course of this match. Lynette ultimately finishes uh, the battle with a ratio, again, 25 winners against 14 unforced errors. She did, it, it was the perfect balance. Playing first strike behind the serve, and she wins over 69% of her, uh, excuse me, 67% of her service points overall for the match. She defended the plus one pretty well. She served either heavy into the body or really got Garcia stretched so far wide outside the alley that, again, that runway of space, which is the name of the game in tennis, was open for Lynette to attack with a first strike. And that's what, what Lynette did extraordinarily well. As good as Caroline Garcia is and as good as she was at playing first strike tennis in this match, Lynette wins 58 of the zero to four shot rallies. Garcia only 46 of the zero to four. So not only was Lynette more efficient, in executing her plus one service game, which is one of the toughest thing to do against the number one server on the WTA Tour, according to metrics over the past year in Caroline Garcia. Not only did Lynette out-execute her on serve, but how about the hustle? Like Lynette's ability, it's a shorter backswing, but to absorb redirect pace on the backhand wing, the forehand grip always feels like it's a shank coming off of her racket, and yet her ability to get outside of that ball create just a little extra whip, a little extra topspin on that forehand wing. It consistently threw off Garcia's contact point by just ever so slightly. And again, Garcia sprayed a little bit throughout the course of the match. She hits 27 winners, but 33 unforced errors made just 49% of her first serves. And credit to Lynette, who took advantage of that by taking that second serve early on the rise and just ensuring Garcia didn't have an easy opportunity to play first strike. You know, again, what I've been so impressed by with Lynette is how well she's adapted to each of her matches, the physicality in what was a two-hour battle against Conteve, the, again, sustained aggression from the start, the straight set win over Alexandrova, and then the ability to do a little bit of both against Caroline Garcia in her two-hour round of 16 victory. It's a well-deserved and, again, a hard-fought first quarterfinal for Magda Lynette, but Here's the question I ask myself for Lynette, who again finds herself in her first major quarterfinal, also finds herself, according to our friends at Tennis Abstract, as a 37.9% underdog, according to our friends at DraftKings. Lynette, interesting. They like her a little bit more. They give her plus 135 odds. But again, Carolina Pliskova, 7-2 in her career against Magda Lynette. Now, for what it's worth, Lynette won their last matchup 4-1 when they played at Billie Jean King Cup at the end of last season. This is an eye test thing, 
And this is also a look at history. Again, Pliskova's beaten Lynette. Where'd she beat her? 7-6 in the third. 2022 Australian Open first round. She beat her at the U.S. Open back in 2017. 2-1 first round there. They've played uh, eight of their nine matches have been on hard courts. Pliskova seven and, uh, excuse me, Pliskova six and two in those hard court matches. I just think it was a different Carolina Pliskova to end last season at that Billie Jean King Cup. She wasn't at her healthiest. She wasn't clearly as match-tough and as confident as she will be after running the gauntlet through these first four matches here in at the Australian Open. I also just might wonder if the clock's going to strike midnight. Like I'm well aware Magda Lynette just saw an even more powerful, proficient version of Carolina Pliskova in Garcia in the last round. That said, Pliskova isn't as... Or Pliskova is more patient, is the glass half full way of saying it. Pliskova doesn't need to, doesn't feel the inclination to rush the net as immediately as Caroline Garcia does. And part of it was an impatience from Garcia, where she just got herself jammed because she didn't hit her approach shot well enough. And Lynette's too good of a mover, too sound off both wings. She dipped the first passing shot and created an easy second chance opportunity for herself. I just think Carolina Pliskova will be a little bit more patient. Again, I wonder what Lynette will do to consistently hurt Pliskova. Pliskova not going to be taking the serve on the rise as consistently, and so probably not going to be leaving her return as short as Garcia did. And, you know, while Pliskova is not the best returner, she ranked 48th, uh, excuse me, 47th amongst top 50 players last season, only th- two spots above 49th ranked Caroline Garcia. She was still 3% better than Caroline Garcia. You know, Garcia's break percentage, 27.6. Pliskova's 30.6. That is a significant difference, particularly given how well Pliskova has been holding serve of late. Look again, Lynette's earned... The respect of a stay away if you just, again, she's beaten Conteve, Alexandrova, Garcia, consecutive matches. But I just think things will start to add up for Magda Lynette. I think Caroline Garcia comes in about as fresh as a player can be entering this quarterfinal round. She's the far more experienced player. She's seen this matchup a million times, 7-2. and two. And Pliskova lost the last one. Just a little added carrot incentive there for Pliskova. And look... This is the window. We don't know how many more slams Carolina Pliskova will have the opportunity to get to the final stages of. She's not old by any stretch of the imagination, still just 30 years old, but there's a lot of young talent, all extraordinarily hungry, all narrowing the gap between the outstanding veterans we see now in the women's game and themselves. I think Pliskova sees this opportunity. I think she capitalized on it. If you want to just play it safe, take the minus 165 money line. I'll take the minus one and a half game, minus 145. I'd even take the minus two and a half games, minus 120 and roll with Carolina Pliskova because, again, I just think this is where the clock strikes midnight. Yes, I I think the pace of Pliskova, how disciplined she will be in attacking that Lynette forehand, I think she will ultimately overwhelm Lynette. And I just think she'll be more patient in finding that forehand and not feel the need to pull the trigger as soon. That said, again, a ton of credit to Magda Lynette, who is having a career run at a slam here at this 2023 Australian Open. Your final matchup, uh, it's a doozy. Arena Sabalenka, who I test-wise has looked better than any player in the women's singles draw, is taking on a former and you could argue longtime foe 
in rising 26-year-old Donna Vekic. Of course, so much credit has to go to Vekic, who fell out of the top 100 and has been so exceptional of late to get herself back into the top 50 of the live rankings. But we have to start with Arena Sabalenka. You look at what the number five seed has done so far through this 2023 season. She has now won eight consecutive matches. She's yet to drop a set. She's played just three tie breaks. She's been pushed past 6-4 just four different occasions. There were moments where she just looked like the best player in the world in her 5-2 and fourth-round victory, a hard-fought fourth-round victory over a very much informed Belinda Bencic. And Bencic played top-20 tennis. Bencic is a top-five server on the WTA Tour over the past two, three seasons and went out to an early 4-2 lead in set number one, and yet that's when Sabalenka locked in. She turned on the Jets. She started driving her backhand down the line so fluidly. And just she held the ball on her racket a little bit longer to be a little bit more unpredictable because Benchich was reading her and moving so well through the first six games, predicting just about everything. And then, you know, Sabalenka waited. She mixed in two cross courts with every down the line. She started changing up the targets on her approach shot, started taking a little bit off the return of serve, but getting it a little bit further into the outer third or vice versa, going a little bit bigger, but rather than going for the line, just going big at the feet of Benchich to set herself up in easy first strike. She's also kept the double faults relatively under control. We're talking the 5 to 8 range as opposed to the 11 to 14 range. And when she does that, Sabalenka can play an overwhelming tennis behind that first serve again. If she ever wins a slam, she will immediately get inducted into Serena Williams' Power Tennis Country Club. And again, you look for Sabalenka, who's now beaten Bentich, Mertens, Rogers, Martinsova, Naskova, Begu, Vondrusova, Samsonova, all without dropping a set. You look for Sabalenka at the majors really since the start of the 2020 season. Sabalenka has been a force at just about every major we've seen competed on, uh, competed at here on the WTA Tour. You look for her again over this stretch of time. I mentioned how impressive the 24 and 10 is for Rabakina. Sabalenka 32 and 10 overall. 32 and 10 overall at the majors since the start of 2020. She's made the second week on six different occasions. She's now into her fourth quarter final. I mean, again, she's played 11 total majors. She's made the second week at six of them. She's made the quarterfinals now of four of them. And for the record, she's 3-0 and in her three previous quarterfinals. That's pretty good. Pretty darn good. It's why we have both Rabakina and Sabalenka as tier one talents here at Cracked Rackets. And again, for Sabalenka, just played a quarterfinal at the last major. The 2022 U.S. Open comes in in about as good a form as possible. She is capable of playing that transcendent level of power tennis. And, you know, with her run over the last three weeks, Sabalenka has now moved back into the top 25 in hold percentage. She was a top 25 returner and actually... Uh, you know, again, 36.5%, you know, she would become one of the nine, 10 players to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. And, you know, that doesn't even mention what we see with the eye test where she's moving better than ever. She's more, you know, the five to 10 minute blips where the errors race up or there's three double faults in a row. We haven't seen any of that through eight tough matches through the course of this 2023 season. 
we've said it forever. Sabalenka's best is as good as anyone in the women's game. It's about her finding that best more consistently. Well, she seems to have found it at least through the first three weeks here of this 2023 season. But look, she's playing someone who has also returned to her finest form and has put together a notably successful 16-3 and run. Over her last 19 matches, of course, I'm referring to 26-year-old Donna Vekic, who with this run is back up to number 34 in the live ranking. She was outside the top 100 at one point last season. Now back up to 34, of course. How does she do it? Well, it helps to make the finals of a 500-level event in San Diego. And for Vekic, she gets wins there in qualifying over Mandlik, then Davis, then listen to this gauntlet. Beat Sakari. Pliskova, Sabalenka, and Collins before getting knocked out in three sets by Iga Sviantek. Of course, here at this Australian Open, she has wins over Select Mateva, Samsonova, Parizas Diaz, and then most recently, the three-set win over Linda Fruvertova. And look, Fruvertova is great. Fruvertova is very good at very many things. The totality of weapons she has, her ability to drive any ball, both cross and line, play the short angles, play the slices. She's comfortable moving forward. She's comfortable passing. She's a good, great anticipation skills and a good mover who doesn't have the most explosive first set step, but she's only 17 years old. Wait for that first step to actually have some muscle behind it. Fruvertova tried to take a lot of things away from Donna Vekic. And yet, you know, for the first 20 minutes, Fruvertova just could not hang with the power tennis and the decisive aggression that Vekic played with. Again, ultimately, Vekic a 6-2-1-6-6-3 victory uh, over the 17-year-old. And, you know, again, when I look for Donna Vekic, what she was able to do yesterday from a winner to unforced error perspective, it just is a testament to how aggressive she played from the start and in the biggest moments of this match. You look for Donna Vekic overall, 42 winners to Fruvertova's 22, now 40 unforced errors to Fruvertova's 20, but guess what? She had to be the aggressor because Fruvertova continued to just roll the ball high, deep, heavy, try to open up a crease. And it was Vekic who had to be the disruptor. Vekic who, it says she only hit three return winners, but the amount of unreturned serve she hit and just the amount of, uh, again, big down the line, big early cross court with pace that just drew Fruvertova into unre- uh, you know, unrecoverable positions it was exceptional decisiveness, and you look now for Donna Vekic, um, who again is into her first Australian Open quarterfinal and is into the quarterfinals of a major, I believe, for just, I want to say the second time in her career. You look for Donna Vekic overall, her other quarterfinal coming, yeah, U.S. Open 2019. It's been a long time coming for the 26-year-old, who I say that again because She is still very much in the prime of her career, and she's got a new team around her now. She seems extraordinarily comfortable with 16-3 and over a 19-match stretch is nothing to be trifled with, particularly when it includes wins over Fruvertova, Samsonova, Colin Sabalenka, Pliskova, Sakari, etc. Dare I say, Donna Vekic is back, and I mean, again— as we look at the career head-to-head and try to make a pick in this match, it feels very much worth noting that Donna Vekic is 5-1 and one in her career against Arena Sabalenka. She beat her at San Diego 6-1 in the third last year, beat her at the Tokyo Olympics, three wins Cincinnati, St. Petersburg, uh, and St. Petersburg 100K back in 2017 and 16. Sabalenka, straight set win San Jose 2019. But here's why... 
Sabalenka's one in five record is a great thing for Arena Sabalenka because Arena Sabalenka is now the front runner. You look according to our friends at Tennis Abstract, Sabalenka, a 30.9% chance of winning the event. That's the highest of any player remaining. You look according to the odds at our friends at DraftKings, Sabalenka, plus 210. She's got the best odds. Next, Pagula Rabakina at plus 300. Sabalenka is now the favorite. And why I love the fact that she's one in five is because this now creates an opportunity, and this is what tennis players do, to view yourself still as the underdog in this match. Yeah, I might be the betting favorite. Everyone might be talking about me, but look, I have a challenge in Donna Vekic, a player I have never, you know, I've never had success against. She's five and one against me. She beat me the last time we played in three sets in San Diego. It puts a chip on Sabalenka's shoulder that may not otherwise be there. And that's the best part of this draw because Pliskova, who got her number at Wimbledon back in that semifinal back in 2021, that's another match Sabalenka will probably still be looking for revenge for. And again, this Sabalenka is different than any version of Sabalenka Donna Vekic will have faced in her career, except maybe, I suppose, 2019 San Jose because Sabalenka got hot at the end of that 2019 season. But as powerful as as Donna Vekic is, Arena Sabalenka is more powerful. As well as Donna Vekic has served, Arena Sabalenka has served better. As well as Vekic captures the ball, Sabalenka has a serve to disrupt that return. Sabalenka has enough action on the ball to kind of get that forehand grip for Vekic, maybe a few troubles, get the errors piling up. And again, in a battle of power tennis, much like the very first match we spoke about, we've come full circle here. I just think Sabalenka's best, which she has played at, is better than Vekic's best, which she has also played at. Again, I love that Sabalenka can convince herself she's the underdog because of the one in five career head to head. I like Sabalenka in this match. Minus 425, not enough value. Wow, her odds are up now. Minus three and a half games was lower earlier in the day. It's now minus 185. I might throw that in a parlay with something. But that would be my play, minus 185, and we'll find a parlay for it tomorrow on our GSP Ace of the Day segment. I just think, again, as well as Vekic has played, she got pushed to three sets in what was a very physical match with Fruvertova. Sabalenka's just been on another level. I'm trusting my eyes. I'm going with Sabalenka. I just think the pace, the action on the ball, it overwhelms uh, that Fruverto- uh, that Vekic forehand. And again, Sabalenka, 73.1% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. I don't think I said it. Pliskova, 62.1%. Pagula, 64.5% over Azarenka. And then again, Rabakina, 57.1% over Ostapenko. But you want to know my picks? I'm going with the favorites. Not a shock. Rabakina, Pagula, Pliskova, Sabalenka. And boy, how fun is that semi-final set if that's what we get so many good storylines still to come here at the year's first major with that said quick reminder if you're looking for our men's singles preview head on over to the great shot podcast feed co-founder max rothman joins me to break down each of the four matches there we'll continue to have previews recaps of all the action that unfolds at the 2023 Australian Open. A shout out as always to our super producer Daniel Westoff for the f- of an editing job he does day in day out in making each and every podcast possible. A shout out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point. Remember it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 with all of that said for our fantastic super producer Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks everyone.